The sixth inning, Tina makes a mess. Tina wasn't sure what would happen, but you didn't have to be a traitor to know it wasn't going to be good. No man on the planet would just let something like that go. And TC, damn sure it wasn't just some regular dude. She knew that better than most. A lot better than Colton did, anyway. She didn't know even half the shady shit TC got up to, but she'd seen enough to know he was no dummy and definitely no pushover. The thing about TC was, he was consistent. Even in whatever kind of business you wanted to say he was in, consistency was still the mark of a professional. And TC was definitely that. The man had his shit together. And anyway, Beaumont was just part of the story. Tina had the feeling that was Lanyap. No way his income was dependent on whatever was in those golf bags. Her best guess was he was more businessman than criminal, though the ratio might only be 60-40. Not a businessman, not a drug dealer, not a white-collar criminal, which brought to Tina's mind Wall Street-type people that didn't exist in South Louisiana. Even the richest, most powerful men down here drove pickup trucks and wore Wranglers. Not that T.C. fit that mold either. The dude probably didn't even own a collared shirt, white or otherwise. She couldn't help but find people like T.C. and the older generation of real Eunice players, dudes like Eli Pritchard, fascinating. The guy everybody called Uncle Eli had stopped by the bar just once while she was there. But she had seen him around town, and anyway, Tina felt like she knew the type well. In his caddy and his pleated pants, he was a man about town, making the rounds to check on his businesses. Eli Pritchard was the kind of guy that had been sitting in the same seat on the 50-yard line for St. Ed's football games since the beginning of time. The kind of guy that expected things to fall his way. Guys like Eli Pritchard never really saw girls like Tina. They looked, of course, and sometimes they did more than that, but they never really took you seriously. So it was easy for Tina to study them. She didn't put T.C. in the same category as Eli Pritchard and that old guard. He was doing his own thing, which she had to respect. But still, she could tell he was sitting at the same table as the old man, and they were playing a game she wasn't allowed to play, even if she could somehow come up with the price of admission. But even that wasn't exactly right. Lumping a guy like T.C. with good old boys like Eli Pritchard, he was no blue blood. The dude lived in a shitty little house on the wrong side of Laurel Avenue, and the fanciest restaurant he ever went to was the Sonic. Her mind flashed back to that one afternoon Eli Pritchard had come into the bar, pulling up in his black Cadillac. T.C. had made a run to Sugar Ray's on the other side of town for some donuts, so she did her best to keep the old man company until he got back. Who's your daddy? was the first thing he wanted to know, which pretty much said it all. To old men like Eli Pritchard, family lineage was everything. She guessed the idea was sound enough. The apple not falling far from the tree, 
even though around Eunice, there was a better chance it was a fig tree or maybe a muscadine vine. She knew if she had said her daddy's name, there was pretty much a 100% chance the old man would know who he was. And then he would think he knew who she was. He would be wrong, but that was besides the point. So she lied. I'm from around Lafayette, she had told him. My mom was a Broussard before she got married. You'd throw a rock in any direction, and there was a good chance you'd hit a Broussard. The old man was cagey, she could tell. He didn't press her on it, but she got the distinct impression he knew she was bullshitting him. But he never said anything. In fact, he didn't say another word until T.C. got back with his donuts. He just sat there with his bottle of Budweiser, smoothing out the air bubbles under the label with a pad of his thumb and every now and then taking a sip. He put a $5 bill on the bar and said to T.C., walk me out, about five seconds after he set the box from Sugar Ray's on the counter. And it wasn't just Eli Pritchett that came through Cecil's. In the nine months she'd worked there, she'd seen all kinds of people you wouldn't expect. The chief of police, the ex-chief of police, lawyer-looking dudes in polo shirts and pleated pants. Hell, even the dude that ran the biggest seasoning company in Acadiana showed up one time. Tina recognized him from the line drawing of him in a chef's hat they put on every bottle. Cecil's bar wasn't that different than any of the other dozens of sketchy bars up and down Highway 190. So you didn't have to be Sherlock fucking Holmes to understand there was more going on there than cold beer and cheap shots. All this was cracking off like pop rocks in her head as she walked in Cecil's bar the very next afternoon. Tina didn't like the fact that she was in her casino uniform. She wasn't happy about wearing a uniform at all, but the cachata paid better than Cecil's, and she was thankful they had finally put her on the schedule. So, in her skirt and vest and white shirt that showed some cleavage, she walked into the bar. If anyone was going to meet T.C. to sort this out, man to man, it was better her than Colton. And if the sight of a little extra leg beneath those dark pantyhose could help resolve the situation, well, she was willing to do that and probably a whole lot more if push came to shove. Why she was suddenly so gushy about a ball player with a hot temper, she couldn't say. All she knew for sure was if he was going to get hurt, she would be the one to inflict the pain. A chill crackled through her spine as she met the familiar bleach and beer smell of the bar. Titsi was sitting at the far end of the bar with a drive through window open to catch the breeze, his usual perch. By the end of May, that window would stay closed, condensation from the A.C. collecting on it and everybody inside reflexively bitching every time it opened to serve a drive through customer. He looked up from his newspaper when she walked in, but he didn't smile like she had hoped. I can't say I'm surprised, Titsi said, and folded the newspaper on the bar. Your boyfriend sent you over here to check the lay of the land? She had not decided how to play it, thinking it was better to get a feel for his mood first. The man was clearly brooding. The hinged divider that separated the working from the customer side of the bar was up, and so she just strolled back behind the bar to where he was. On her way there, she stopped and grabbed two shot glasses and the bottle of Jack from the shelf. 
Oh, I see, he said. You gonna try to butter me up with my own booze? She still hadn't said anything. And she didn't until she had put the glasses on the bar next to his paper and then poured them both a small shot. I'll pay for it if you want, she said finally. Titsi just rocked back on his chair, air escaping the cushion as he shifted his weight and gave her an appraising look. She mirrored his deadpan right back at him, just waiting. She forced a thought. Two can play at this game, motherfucker. From her mind, because she knew it would show in her face. They were still looking each other over as T.C. reached over to the shot glass and put his big paw over the one closest to her, slowly bringing it up to his lips. The son of a bitch kept his eye contact while he dropped a glob of spit in the whiskey and set it back down again. What the fuck, she was thinking. But what she said was, what's that supposed to mean? T pulled the untainted shot glass towards him and rotated it slowly on the bar with his Teat pulled the untainted shot glass toward him and rotated it slowly on the bar with his andouille fingers, as if he was admiring the whiskey in his glass. If this was some kind of intimidation trip, Tina thought, well, that's exactly what it is. And it was working. It took everything she had to keep her cool. She was rattled inside, but she damn sure wasn't going to show it. Titsi looked up from his glass and spoke. It means I don't need you or anybody else to come in here, feed me my own whiskey, and tell me what to do about some pissant ball player that thinks he could just walk in here and lay hands on me. The expanse of his neck had gone bright red the white lines in the folds of it making him look like a glob of melting peppermint candy. Tina tried to think. If all it took was those few words to get his blood boiling, there was pretty much zero chance he would just let the whole thing go. There was nothing she could say. Do something, she commanded herself. She reached over to the shot glass with the glob of spit dissolving in it and picked it up. She looked over the rim of it at the big man, her eyes locked on his, and drained the shot. It wasn't gross because she had locked the thought of it away in an airtight box in her mind. No way this motherfucker is going to get the best of her. No way this motherfucker was going to get the best of her. She had swallowed worse. She set the glass upside down on the bar without breaking eye contact. For God's sake, man, you were fucking his mom in the bathroom, she said. No venom to the words, just a fact. The son of a bitch actually smiled, and that changed something inside Tina. The man had no fucking shame. Well, technically, that's not actually true, he said. She was so disgusted, she wanted to smack that smug look off his face. That grin of his just about pushed her over the edge. Oh, you gonna go all Bill Clinton about it now, she said. What the hell did you expect him to do? His mom, of all people. Tina was on a roll now. And you, of all people. The temperature in Cecil's ratcheted up a few degrees while they got into it. If Tina hadn't grown up with a daddy just as stubborn and childish as T.C., she might have blown her top. 
but she kept herself in check. Not so much arguing with him. There was no real point in that. as just trying to get him to see it from Colton's perspective. By the time they had both said all there was to say, and Tina finished with, just let it go, and walked out without another word. Eventually, they both said all there was to say, and Tina finished with, just let it go and walked out without another word. In the parking lot, with the jack still burning at the back of her throat, she cursed herself again because her last words had sounded more like a plea than a command. It was hard to tell if she'd made the situation better or worse, but she had tried, and her dignity was intact. Only time would tell how it would play out. Eventually, Eventually, they both said, eventually, they both said all there was to say, and Tina finished with, just let it go, and walked out without another word. In the parking lot, with the jack still burning at the back of her throat, she cursed herself again because her last words had sounded more like a plea than a command. It was hard to tell if she had made the situation better or worse, but she had tried and her dignity was intact. Only time would tell how it would play out. Twenty minutes later, when she walked into the Cachada to start her shift, Tina was struck by how the vibe in the big casino wasn't so different than Cecil's bar. If you used your eyes to judge, the two places had nothing in common. But if you looked past the slot machines and gaming tables in the expansive main room and took in the atmosphere with your other senses, not just the nose and ears, but that sixth sense that pretty much every South Louisiana woman had, then you could feel it. Twenty minutes later, when she walked into the Cachada to start her shift, Tina was struck by how the vibe in the big casino wasn't so different than Cecil's bar. If you used your eyes to judge, the two places had nothing in common. But if you looked past the slot machines and gaming tables in the expansive main room and took in the atmosphere with your other senses, not just the nose and the ears, but that sixth sense that pretty much every South Louisiana woman had, then you could feel it. Desperation. False hope. A kind of sadness. It was resignation with a shot of violence on the side. Cigarette smoke hung in the air like a fog on a Civil War battlefield. Stale beer and sour booze just sat below the surface in a layer cake of broken dreams. It was an atmosphere that the TV commercials didn't capture, even though it was right there. All these ghosts sitting at the slots at 4 o'clock on a Monday... Old ladies that had been pretty once sat at the slot machines with Virginia slims of mostly ash hanging from their cracked lips. Sleepy men with beer guts stared up at the TVs, lobotomized by booze and life. The place made Cecil's bar look like a The place made Cecil's bar look like a country chapel, and it left Tina feeling weird. 
She called Colton on her first break, anxious to hear about his discussion with Coach. Somewhere in her mind, she understood there might be more riding on Colton's fate than she realized. But he was cagey about it. What was it with all these dudes? It was like you couldn't get a straight answer out of any of them. I'll tell you later, he said, and then he asked what... I'll tell you later, he said, and then asked what she was wearing. She knew better than to think he wasn't worried about everything, but it was good that he was feeling playful, or maybe horny. In fact, she was feeling the same thing. She had already showcased the casino uniform for him, but that wasn't what Colton was asking about. It's the ones you like, she breathed into the phone, scanning the area to make sure nobody heard her. And just saying the words produced a warm tingling down there. But I like all of them, he said, and she smiled. The tingling accelerated to a sustained vibration. Tiny red bow, she said. Black lace? Black lace, Colton said. And then let out a long, slow breath that was enough to make her want to touch herself. With zero deliberation, she said, come see me on my lunch break. But she knew he couldn't. Colton didn't have a car. He didn't have any money. It was kind of a sour irony. Colton was the new hero of LSUE baseball. People had started coming from out of town to see the games. The number 45 was everywhere, and old people came out of the woodwork to shake his hand and tell him to keep it up. Hell, even TC was a fan. But Colton didn't have a pot to piss in or a car window to throw it out of. You know I can't, he said, and the passion that had been palpable between them just went soft. They both held their breath in silence. Tina thought of her talk, if you could call it that, with Titsi, and she felt herself getting pissed all over again. The idea that a dude like that could have power over someone like Colton was just wrong. She couldn't put herself in that same category, for whatever reason. It was hard to imagine herself in a different place, in better circumstances. But never mind her own shit. This was about Colton. He could be at a real college in a year, or maybe even someplace better. Scouts had started to show up. Not just from low-budget state colleges, but from some pretty big schools. Hell, there might even be some pro teams looking at him. It wasn't impossible. Tina tried to go to as many games as possible, not just to lay claim to him, but because she genuinely liked to watch Colton play. But he wasn't always on the field, and so she had her chances to watch other people on the sly. She could spot the scouts easy. Anybody from out of town, really. And then there were the slutty baseball groupies. Colton played with a passion you could see. He didn't need to be an expert to see he was different. He anticipated the game, played smart, turning on his speed when he had to, but playing cautious, conserving himself on routine plays. You knew he knew when he could go he knew <clears throat> he knew when to go hard and when to back off. Thinking about it gave her that feeling again because it wasn't just baseball where he operated like that. 
Just tell me if you're still on the team, she said, trying to refocus. Yeah, Colton breathed, but he didn't seem relieved. So what's the problem, she asked. He took a long time to respond. Nothing, I guess, but Coach says I'm on thin ice. Well, what's new, she said, and they both laughed. Tina tried to relish the moment of relief. She loved to hear him laugh. She loved to hear him laugh. Eventually, she said, Hey, can you give me your mom's number? As if the thought had just occurred to her. <coughs> Tina had read enough trashy novels to have a feel for Colton's mom, or at least to think she did. People called her B, or maybe B was more like it. People called her B, or maybe it was B as in Beatrice. People called her B, just a letter, or maybe it was B as in short for Beatrice, because that's what her name was. A lot of women from the last generation had old-style names like that. Usually when you met a Gertrude or a Geraldine or a Constance, there were old ladies with complicated perms sitting high up on their head. But they hadn't always been old ladies. But they hadn't always been old ladies, Tina made a point of reminding herself. They'd once been young chicks strutting their stuff at the Friday night dances. She couldn't help but think about her own mom and how she might have stacked up against the local competition. Tina had, had, <clears throat> Tina had inherited her good cheekbones, but it was attitude, the way she carried herself, that made all the heads turn. Colton's mom had insisted it was just B, no miss for her, and Tina could understand that. She wasn't ready to be relegated to old lady status. And why would she be? She still had her figure, and she had a certain spunk to her. Not the kind of magnetism that Colton had, but you could see it if you looked close. Tina figured if Tina figured if this was one of those trashy novels, you could Tina figured that <clears throat> Tina figured if this was one of those trashy novels, you couldn't exactly be surprised that B had ended up in the bathroom with someone except that the better storyline would have had her st starting a torrid affair with one of Colton's teammates. Let me try that again. Tina figured if this was one of... Tina figured if this was one of the... If this was one of those trashy novels, Tina figured, you couldn't exactly be surprised that B had ended up in the bathroom with someone except that the better storyline would have had her starting a torrid affair with one of Colton's teammates. They would have set up a, that would have, that would have set up a kind of, that would have set up a nice kind of tension within the baseball team that would probably end up resolving into something like a bingo. That would have set up a nice kind of tension within the baseball team that would have probably ended up resolving into something like the Bengals winning the JUCO National Championship or maybe Colton getting drafted into the pros. Tina found herself lost in the fake storyline of this bubblegum story she was imagining. 
Maybe B would end up getting pregnant by the ball player. And Colton isn't the one that gets and Colton isn't the one that gets drafted. And Colton isn't the one that gets drafted for the pros, but it's B's flame instead. Maybe it's Snick who knocks her up. No, that would be terrible. However it turned out, Colton was the hero of this story. It occurred to her that she might be trying. It occurred to her that she might try her own hand at writing some stories. She'd certainly seen some pretty interesting, pretty disturbing, actually, stuff in the last few years. She filed the fantasy away, shelved the idea in her mind, and stacked it on top of dozens of tiny boxes with memories locked away. This was no trashy novel. She knew that real life didn't work that way. People didn't always get what they deserved, and not everything happened for a reason. B worked in an office somewhere in Lafayette. Tina figured she was somebody's receptionist, if they even had those anymore. She imagined it as some kind of madman-type scenario, except with terribly-dressed, wannabe businessmen from Lafayette with pleated pants and ties hanging too long. Did B even know how to use a computer? It must be hard for that generation, Tina thought. To have to learn all this new technology so late in life. She could see B so clearly in her mind, sitting at a clean desk in a strip mall office. <clears throat> she could see B so clearly in her mind, sitting at a clean desk in a strip mall office, thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? And, she, and, and then she thought of her own mom wondering where she might be. No way she was sitting behind a computer somewhere. Nothing sedentary like that. She would have a job that kept her on the move. That's the image of Tina. That's the image that Tina had of her mom. That's the image Tina had of her mom, always on the run. God, she was depressed. Everyone around her seemed to be scratching to bounce back from some kind of bad break. The thought that she might end up like her mom, or worse, like Colton's mom, sent a cosmic shiver down her spine. The men she knew, her daddy, Titsi, and dozens more dudes cut from a similar kind of rough cloth, weren't any better off. It was like they were stuck in a maze like that one in The Shining. There was a way out. But finding it was nothing but blind luck because at every turn, the bleak reality of 10-foot walls looked exactly the same. And even if you got lucky around Eunice, that bleak world was always right there, clawing at you. TC was a good example of that. The dude had a little money, had carved out a place for himself, but there wasn't anything easy or, God forbid, beautiful about it. The man was nothing but the king of shit mountain. Tina needed more than that, she realized in that exact moment. I need to get the fuck out, she thought. Then she thought of Colton, and the only question in her mind was who was going to rescue who. Then she thought of Colton, and the only question in her mind was who was going to rescue who. She sat and thought for a while. Then she dialed the number for Colton's mom, and while it rang, she planned out exactly what she would say.